This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 179. In this episode, I got to hang out with Dr. Rajmi Bismarck. You might know her book, Finding Om. It's a kid's book that I love. We chatted about mindfulness in the tiny humans and how to support this. And what does this look like? You feel like it's a real buzzwordy word these days. And so we broke it down and looked at how to truly cultivate mindfulness and support kiddos with these tools It was like hanging out with an old pal. She was so fun to chat with and really in alignment with our approach here at Seed in bringing awareness to our everyday life, slowing down and noticing. And I'm so jazzed not only to share this episode, but if you have not snagged the book Finding Ohm yet... Go snag it right now. It's such a great book to read with your tiny humans and for them to get a grasp on what this really looks like to put into everyday life. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I am here with Dr. Rajmi Bismarck. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? So good. It was so fun to like read your bio. And as we were just chatting about before we started recording, I was like, oh, upstate New York. Ooh, same. And then it was like, (laughs) you hopped around to all these places. It was like Rochester and you hit Buffalo and Cooperstown. And I was like, this is my kind of gal. Oh, Cooperstown. (laughs) It's awesome. And now you are back in upstate New York after traveling around. I like how you keep coming home. Yes, I know. Well, there's nothing like New York and there's nothing like upstate New York, I will say. I should say though, so this is central New York to get it right. (laughs) This is true. For everybody else that isn't a New Yorker or isn't from Western Central or the Southern Tier. Right. Yeah. It's all upstate to them. (laughs) That's right. right. Could you tell our village a little bit about uh, kind of your background and what brings you here today? Yeah, sure. Um, So like you mentioned, I'm from upstate New York. So I grew up in a really small town called Cheryl, New York in upstate New York. And I ended up going to the University of Rochester for training and I went to undergrad and med school there. And I'd always had this interest in um, stemming from some, some personal experiences, interested in kind of holistic ways to support healing and health. And so uh, in college, I spent some time in India learning more about Ayurvedic medicine in Kerala. So my parents are immigrants from Kerala, which is a state in the southwest coast of India. And um, I got to spend about six months there studying with family members and and other people 
about Ayurvedic medicine, but then also all the related philosophies and science. So the philosophies of yoga um, and got into meditation a bit more and different kinds of energy healing and kind of explored it all before I went to med school. So I went into med school kind of really excited about all these ways to support health that were there. And through med school and starting my residency, although I loved working with patients, there was just something in me that felt like medicine was not quite it yet for me. Like there was something else that I was supposed to be doing as well. And I, I didn't quite know what that was yet. And fortunately, at the time, my husband had an opportunity abroad with work. So that's what took us around. You'd, you'd mentioned the traveling around the world. So we got to do that with his, with his job. And that offered me time to take a little bit of a break. Um, so we took, I took a little bit of a pause and we actually went to India at that time. So I explored more of Ayurveda and really delved into um, more of the philosophy. And then we started a family and I became a mom. <laughs> and in that journey of motherhood as is, you know, so full of so many things, I again, that importance of self-care was there for me and that importance of being able to model that for my kids, even as babies, right, to be able to model that connection. And, you know, I'd learned all these things. And so that thinking about how am I going to share this with these little humans, right? And so now these are all things in the back of my mind. And then we came back to the U.S. so that I could finish residency. And at that time, um, I finished my training in preventive medicine. So I got my master's in public health. And my residency director was really supportive of my interests. And in, by that time, it's kind of had blossomed into sort of mind-body. And, and so one of my mentors was a psychiatrist who taught mindfulness-based stress reduction. And so I took the course with her and then started co-teaching with her. She was also a yoga teacher. So we were really able to talk a lot in depth about the philosophy and um, of MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction and all that. And I really felt like I'd found my home in medicine when I found that because it was allowing me to be able to teach all these philosophies that I was so familiar with from my heritage and that really sparked my joy within me. And to be able to share that in a inclusive way to patients was really powerful. And so after residency, I kind of focused my clinical career on teaching mindfulness-based interventions. And so I uh, did some training at UMass with the team there. Um, and then I've also just, just finishing up a two-year program with Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield through Sounds True for meditation teacher training. But so along that path, professional path, then I was still a mom, so still thinking about how to bring these things into, you know, my children's lives. And so, you know, my, when, my, when I was in residency and at that time when I was starting to learn uh, how to teach MBSR and all of that, my kids were like one and three, two and four around that, those ages. And so, you know, it's just such a wonderful time of curiosity and they're just little love muffins, you know, and they're really like curious and mm -hmm. I can get them into trouble too, you know, all those things. So it was like this beautiful field of being able to really put into action the stuff that I was learning and for myself because, you know, I'll share this. My mom and I talk about this all the time. I, I grew up in a house where the, there was a lot of quite a bit of yelling that happened, you know, and so when I became a mom, it was like, I knew that there was that tendency in me to do that too. And I would find myself doing it, you know, and then it was like, how could I meet myself in those moments? And so it was really that test of bringing in that mindfulness and compassion for myself too. And for me, it just happened. The word soften kind of connected me to my body and would just kind of ground me and ground me into their nervous system too, you know? And so, you know, I, I was finding it useful to tap into all of this for myself as well as to be able to teach with them. And then I was also realizing too how much mindfulness and just awareness and all of these things were there in my culture. I mean, I knew it, but you know, when I was growing up as um, an Indian kid in this small town in upstate New York, you know, although I loved all of this stuff that I had at home, there was the part of me that still felt like I needed to conform in some way. And, um, 
you know, so there were periods of time in my life when, oh, I didn't think I needed these things or I, you know, whatever. And, but as a mom just realized how much beauty there is in storytelling and ritual and no matter what background that's from. And so part of that journey also helped me really reconnect with mantras as a way to sort of help with that. And for my kids, mantras or just any prayer in general just was really grounding for them. We're very, you know, they love music too. So I think it was something about the rhythm and, you know, all of that stuff um, was something tangible for them to hold on to and really helped them connect with the meanings or find that connection within themselves. So, you know, that, that was something we were using at home a lot to talk about these ideas of curiosity and um, love and all of these uh, wonderful um wonderful supportive processes that happen within us and so you know at that time my kids were small and I had been buying a whole bunch of books because there's all these wonderful kids books on mindfulness and yoga and I just had we happened to be here at my mom's house with my my mom and dad and my dad was like oh these are great you know but well like none of them have any cultural elements in them you know and um, it was funny because I, I I was just so excited to have all these mindfulness kids books that like we didn't have that kind of stuff when we were growing up yeah. that like it, it struck me because even I didn't really see that, you know, that erasure that was there. And then when I when, you know, when you become aware of that, I was like, oh, yeah, like our, it would be nice to be able to have some of that there, too. And so he had said, oh, you know, we, at that time, we kind of brainstormed like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to create a book series? And um Unfortunately, my dad got quite ill soon after and had passed away. And so I kind of had set that project aside until a couple of years ago and my daughter brought it back up. And so we started brainstorming and I thought I decided, okay, I'm going to explore making some kids books. And, uh, and so the ideas for this book series sort of blossomed and arrived in the book Finding Home, which is what you found and found me through. (laughs) That's right. And it is incredible. So I'm glad that you explored this because it's so good. (laughs) I had gotten my team a subscription, each of them a subscription to Little Feminist Book Club. And one of the books was Finding Home that's included in there. And everyone was reaching out and they were like, oh my gosh, we love this. We need to have this person on the podcast. We love this. We need to have this person on the podcast. And so I got it and was like, oh my gosh, I do love this. And there's so many things I want to dive into about the book specifically. I think you do such a beautiful job painting this picture. I think Mm -hmm. mindfulness has become very buzzwordy Mm -hmm. and it's like emotional intelligence and social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. So many of the things in this space have become really buzzwordy. And I like to break it down to like, what does it even mean? You know? Mm -hmm. Like, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. What does it mean in everyday life? What does it mean in practice? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us can have narratives or stories attached to what that word might mean Mm -hmm. and what comes up for us when we hear that word. And when we were creating the set method, we have five components to it. And at the cornerstone of every component is mindfulness. Like it's, Mm -hmm. we have it as like a wheel in the middle of the wheel is mindfulness that it's bringing mindfulness to each of these things. Mm -hmm. And when we were creating it, we got a lot of thoughts and feelings about the word mindfulness uh-huh. <laughs> what that meant for folks and what it turned on in them and what it turned off in them. So I want to explore like what, what is mindfulness and like, what are the benefits of this for adults, but also for kids? You talked a little bit about the nervous system and our village is quite familiar with the nervous system and co-regulation. Talk a lot about we can't do emotional development work without talking about the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so we'd like to chat about what is mindfulness? What role does it play here for kids in health? And how do we, it's such, it can be such an abstract concept. How do we like break that down and explain it to kids? Yeah, I love that. What a, it's such a good question. <laughs> and this is, you know, I, I also teach, um, I teach meditation for yoga teacher trainings. I teach with yoga medicine. Um, and so this is kind of one of the big topics we have because, as you mentioned, mindfulness is used in so many different ways now, whether it's in psychology research or in the medical context or pop culture, you know, or even like on Nickelodeon or whatever it is. There's like, doing things mindfully right um and you know i i think it it's it is used in so many different ways i mean 
there can be the tech mindfulness techniques, you know, so the practices that we use, um, which at the heart of it is that idea of paying attention intentionally and inviting all the attitudes that support us being able to pay attention. Um, and then you have kind of the mind state that it connects us to that, that spaciousness of our awareness from where we can kind of see all these things unfolding and eventually kind of becomes John Kabat-Zinn talks about it as mindfulness with a big M, which is just awareness itself. Right. And that becomes this, field that we can rest into and explore kind of those two aspects of it that it can be this still restful place and at the same time this dynamic space of aliveness from where we really can contact our true nature and explore our potential and, and all of that too so it's kind of this balance of both and when when i talk about mindfulness as well i like to think about well remembering too this is an english word that has been translated from a word in Pali, which is the language from the time of the Buddha and Sanskrit. And so the word that, um, my, that the term mindfulness was translated from the word sati in Pali or smriti in Sanskrit. And those words have to do with memory. And it's a little bit more than just um, rote memory and recalling. It's kind of this deep embodied remembrance. And so this remembrance of our awareness. So it's kind of that idea of awareness kind of recognizing itself. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Levine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. I love it. But thank you for that context. It, what it brought up for me real quick was like, I just like thought of this um, DM that I received from a parent who was like, uh, it was a very long DM. And part of it was that she just isn't a mindful parent. She's not a calm parent. She was connecting the terms calm and mindful, mm -hmm. like consistently. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think you do such an awesome job of in the book is noting right from the beginning that it isn't necessarily calm, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's that it is coming back to that just awareness of what am I feeling without judgment of it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, as, as soon as we're tuning into that awareness that allows us to just be with ourselves in whatever's here, right? And that itself, that, that process of becoming aware, I mean, when we pay attention, that's a very tender way of caring actually in itself, right? So it's kind of these, teachers will often call it the two wings of our awareness, right? It's the attention and it's the care that we bring, bring, bring to it too. So 
hopefully sometimes it does eventually connect us to that still place of calm. And that's really wonderful, you know? And sometimes it just allows us to be with the crazy too. (laughs) Totally, totally. And I love that example you used. I think it's so real for so many of us in the book around control and mm-hmm. um or, or not having the answers right was mm-hmm. like yes. what and for me those are connected right we want to have the answers because we want to feel in control and that you just brought up like what is it f- even bringing to kids the question of like what does it feel like in my body when I don't yeah. have the answers yes being aware that like that's a thing that exists you know that my body will have a reaction and I'm not always going to have the answers and how does that feel and so many of us as adults are still trying to cultivate that ah thank you for noticing that that's actually our favorite page in the book my Mm -hmm. in our family because it's something well that idea itself of being with not knowing is a big uh you know teaching within mindfulness and within yoga philosophy too you know, and and then not holding too tightly to what we know as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those two are very related. And you know, often the not know when the not knowing can kind of trigger all sorts of stuff within us, and then blocks us from being able to open up to knowing or the creativity. Yeah. So, you know, when we don't know, sometimes the reaction within us kind of blocks us from from being able to explore the knowing or contact that curiosity within us, and for my one one of my daughters that anxiety is very much alive for her and so this is a constant conversation that the not as you had mentioned so beautifully not knowing is an experience in itself and can we get curious about what that feels like because maybe if we just welcome that and know that oh it's okay to not know sometimes that itself allows us to soften or open up into the moment in a different way or relate to ourselves in a different way And so that was a really important point that I wanted to be able to mention. And it's kind of a foundational learning when it comes to that idea of paying attention. You know, you you notice uh, perhaps that I kind of set it up so it's like a science experiment in some sorts of ways, right? And, And whenever we're entering a science experiment too, it's that knowing that it's, we're going to try and find an answer. And we might think we know what it is, but we don't ever really know, you know, and even when we do do it, we're only you know, coming up with what we think is the best statistical answer, but even that we can't be totally sure. You know, totally. So, so I, I wanted to be sure to kind of include that little hint of exploration around like, what does that not knowing feel like? And it's okay that perhaps there's something you can trust into yourself, even when there's not knowing. So there can be even a coexistence of not knowing and trust. Totally. And I think so often, I think our brains are designed to do this. And I think we become very good at being like, okay, well, I will come up with what it would be like as a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. And then something like COVID happens and we're like, we're at plan Z, right? (laughs) No one's on this one going. And we get so much practice in not knowing and um, grieving what our expectations may have been over and over, right? Like seasons. And uh, it's been really interesting for me, like witnessing folks' responses to the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and the full strip of control that we thought we had. You know, we we don't have, but we have this perceived control and then the ability to like be with that and, and be here now and not in the next year or when things change or when kids go back to school or when, when we can resume something that feels more comfortable, but being in this. And it's, I think it's so interesting. It reminds me of this kiddo when we were researching the method, he was often like hitting in class. He was like four years old and he was hitting a lot. And so what we were working on with him was bringing awareness to what his body was feeling when he Mm. would start to feel dysregulated. And we would just notice like, wow, your face is so scrunched and your fists are so tight. You look so frustrated and just helping like bring awareness to this before he was then hitting somebody. And a few months down the road, he would start to do it. He would say, my face is so tight and my my face is so scrunched and my fists are so tight and I'm so frustrated. to him then being able to regulate, you know, to like make a different choice. It all started with that awareness or just mindfulness of what's happening in my body, what's happening for me right now. 
Well, I love what you just shared because it's a beautiful example of how interconnected all these things are because we can go from you know, having that wordless sense of frustration that translates into something in the body. And that feeling in the body feels so uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with it, you know, until someone can help us make sense of it, until we can learn to kind of maybe get curious about it, like you have been sharing with him, you know, and then what might happen. So it's, it's beautiful when we can kind of explore that in a safe way, because although there, there aren't some things we're not in control of, you know, perhaps there are things that we can sort of hold on to and foster within us, you know, and, and it's wonderful when it works out nicely. Sometimes it doesn't, but oh, it took months that's to get there. The learning, that's part of the learning for us as adults. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's so. the thing with, especially early childhood, but I mean, any like habits or narratives or practices. I love when you were talking about the root of mindfulness, how are you talking about, uh, that it almost has like stories connected to it. I think mm. you said something along those lines. And that like, we have these like stories connected to these feelings that we aren't even necessarily aware of, right? Like it's unconscious mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. subconscious. So anytime that we're rewriting patterns or working to build awareness of them in the first place, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself can be uncomfortable. We're like, can we have this happen tomorrow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like yeah. to see a change. And with this kiddo, research wise, he, it didn't change the next day or even yeah. within that month or whatever. It was so much of us being consistent with bringing this awareness that he didn't mm-hmm. have yet mm-hmm. until he could start to be aware of it until he was noticing before he was really dysregulated mm-hmm. and it takes practice and that it's hard <laughs> practice and patience and yeah. all of that yeah for all every everyone involved <laughs> right exactly yeah because yeah. we so badly want to be like just stop hitting yeah. <laughs> and it, that had been tried for four years and hadn't worked so we're taking a it's different beautiful path. it's beautiful because from what I hear for you from your share as well just now uh I'm sensing how much of a learning deep embodied learning this was for you as well mm-hmm. just not for the child which is I think the beauty of um these practices and being able to share them, you know, whether it's with your kids at school or with your kids at home, it's, um, you know, it's a practice that gives both ways, you know, which is just wonderful. And that's what we hear from parents all the time. They come to us um, looking for support with their tiny humans who are having a hard time. And as they go through our programs, they're like, oh, it's me too, (laughs) right? Like I'm learning about me. Or somebody messaged me yesterday and was like, wow, I've noticed how this has affected how I show up as a boss and how I show up as a partner. Uh, Because when you're starting to bring awareness, you don't just bring it to your kids. (laughs) Yes, correct. Yeah. And, you know, so that was one of the reasons, too, I chose to have the story be within a family. Well, of course, it's, I think I've shared with you already, it is my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a lot of it is from, you know, that direct experience. But then also to just showcase how, you know, I think, too, um, nowadays, too, like yoga and mindfulness get associated with being something you might go to, like, a studio and go do or something that's elsewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you come home and it's done or something. Yeah. But it really can be this just part of your life and family life and something that you can share in together as well, you know. Yeah, it's not a spin class. Yeah. And you know, and and I think this is very beautifully exhibited by what you're talking about in that the um the sweetness comes in the sharing and the relationship too that's developed through practicing together. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just, I think allowing without that judgment can be so hard. Just last night, I, my husband hung up bathroom shelves and, uh, I afterwards, after he actually had a like challenging time hanging them, the walls weren't right. Like it was this whole thing. And afterwards I saw them and my initial reaction was those are higher than I anticipated. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, um, I'm not going to start with that. Right. Like I'm not going to lead with, wow, that's not what I expected. Uh, (laughs) We're going to connect first. And then I, part of me like sat with, I know that it would be fine if I don't say anything like it's bathroom shelves. 
And then I had to go through like a process to be like, oh, I'm just nervous that he's going to feel disappointed. And I'm, I don't want to sit with his disappointment. Mm -hmm. And once I got there, I was like, okay, now I'm going to say something like now I realized (laughs) I I can sit with this disappointment and it's going to be uncomfortable. And it happened, you know, like when I addressed it, he was disappointed and it was, he's just renovated our kitchen and bathroom. And this was like the last part of the project. (laughs) He felt like he was done and I didn't. And (laughs) and I even said to him, like afterwards, it was about an hour after we talked about it. And I could tell he was like sitting with this disappointment and I, I said, I was like, it's so hard to just like sit here with your disappointment and not say like, it's fine that they're higher. They'll be fine. <laughs> you yes. don't have to change them. And he was like, no, you're right. And I do want to change them. I can't unsee it now that I see yes. it. Yes. <laughs> now that, now that you showed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every uh, time he goes in there, he'll be like, oh, <laughs> <why>? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, but it was hard. And like, I think yeah. being with that, that for me is the really the hardest part of mindfulness is being with the discomfort, right? Yes, and yes. allowing that without trying to rush it away or fix it. Yes. Yeah, it is. And, and that, that creating the space for it and it's, uh, and that itself takes time and practice to be, you know, which is, you know, I love sharing meditation because it, it, gives creates that sort of safe space too, where kids can sort of start practicing that connection to that space that's within them to be able to be aware. You know, I think the more and more we cultivate a relationship with our awareness, the easier it becomes in that moment of noticing the bathroom shelf for us to be able to pause and do all that work that you did right there in that moment, you know, because it's not, it's not an easy, quick. Totally. It takes so much work (laughs) to get there. Yeah. Old Alyssa would have just been like, Hey, wow, they look great, but why are they so high? Right? Like, <laughs> and that would have been a fun spiral between the two of us. Uh, <laughs> um. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, no, it, it does take practice. Can you chat more about what it looks like to kind of bring meditation to kids and I guess how to cultivate that environment, especially for kiddos who might not be used to stillness? Yeah, so I only teach my own kids meditation. So I teach adults clinically. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I can speak uh, in the way that a a mindfulness teacher that that teaches lots of kids might, but from my own personal experience with my own kids, I will just share that, you know, um, a mindfulness practice or that a meditation doesn't have to be in stillness, though it can be, it can also be moving, you know, which is why in the beginning of the book, I had Ananya kind of, or, or Anu kind of exploring 
oh, well, she's, you know, running with her sister or <laughs> doing other things, right? Mm -hmm. We can also connect to our awareness and movement. And so one of the things with my, when I've been exploring it with my kids is just that, that we can be paying attention when we're moving. We can be paying attention when we're still. Sometimes when we're still, we might feel uncomfortable a little bit. Sometimes that uncomfortableness passes and we can keep sitting. Sometimes it doesn't and maybe it's okay to not meditate or maybe you might want to, we might want to go for a walk or you know, like whatever that is. So it's kind of always just tuning back into our needs or what we're feeling like, but that knowing the options are flexible. Um, so, but when it, when it does come to sharing a seated practice, since that was your question, for me, what has worked well for me is simply modeling it. And it's not something that I necessarily impose upon them or make them do. It's always been a part of our bedtime routine. So um, at nighttime after books and we're cuddling, you know, laying in bed, doing a practice together or just sitting in bed, doing a quick practice together. But otherwise they, they see me do the practice. And oftentimes when they see me, and this was the case with when my dad was alive too, they'd see him and they'd, you know, wander up and get curious and sit by him and, you know, and, mm -hmm. so, and same with me. Like, and so not all the time, but, and, and it's gotten out to the point where sometimes too, if they want to do it, like my older daughter yesterday, I was meditating after I worked out or something and she came, she's like, Oh, can I meditate? Can you, can you lead me to, and let's meditate together. And so, so those, all of those kind of things just start to happen as they see it and they, they get tastes of it. And, for me, for me, that's what has worked the best rather than, you know, imposing it upon it is just having them sort of lead it and making it fun, exploring lots of different things with them when they are curious about it. So I like that you brought up that it also doesn't have to be stillness, that you're really just bringing awareness to the body and whatever it's doing. Right. Yeah. And I think of this with, we talk a lot about sensory rich activities, like activities that mm -hmm. regulate the nervous system. And we encourage folks to seek out a sensory rich activity every couple hours, right? To help get like some input in that'll help regulate throughout the day in the same way that we would like eat food throughout the day rather than yeah. waiting till we're hangry. And in this practice, we'll often talk to kids about how it feels to go upside down. You know, like, what does yeah. it feel like when you're leaning upside down on the couch? Like, does that feel good for you? And that, <laughs> for some kids it will. And some kids, no, this feels uncomfortable. Right. And I would rather be wrapped up like a burrito in a blanket or swinging from a swing or jumping into a pile of pillows. And that feels so good for my body. And just helping them start to tune into what does feel good for my body was kind of what I heard from you at the beginning there and notice yes. when you're in that, you know, yes. I think that that ties so well too with our like coping strategies. And when you're having a big emotion, not just noticing the big emotion, but if you also know things that are helpful for you in regulating that nervous system, what helps your body feel calm when you're feeling really frustrated? And I, I, I love what you're sharing because too, um, especially when kids are small, they're not going to have the words for the emotion, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not important necessarily that they have to, mm -hmm. but I think just like you're saying, that signaling of coming into the body can be so important for them in those moments because that is a, a space that they can connect very easily to. And even if they can't put a word to it, maybe placing a hand wherever they're feeling it most or, or whatever that is can be really a powerful place to kind of open up the conversation. Totally. And we, we actually produce our own emotion processing cards that are visuals and we send stickers that have words that you can put on or not, uh, but actually find with our younger kiddos that a lot of them gravitate without words. It's just a picture and they get to yeah. choose. We intentionally don't put the words on because I don't think it's my job to tell you which picture is sad or lonely or yeah. whatever, that they can choose what card looks like I what they're that. feeling, you know, I love that. Yeah. Um, and really just connecting, like, what am I feeling to what do I see and, uh, helping them have an outlet for communication there. Yeah. And then going into, we also, we have a, a box, like a bundle box and we have coping strategies in there too, where they can also grab a coping strategy that they can tap into before they have words to do it, to let, to, yes. to build this connection of not just what am I feeling, but what do I, what do I do when I'm feeling like, yes. you know, what, what starts, might I need? Yeah. Yeah. How yes. do I meet that need? Um, yeah, this is. Awesome. I, I love. I love that it's. Um, I'm, what you're sharing is making me think of 
I think it was Dan Siegel shares mm. in one of his books about halt the hung, hungry, angry, was it hungry, angry, lonely, tired, I think, or something. Yeah, like that. I love Dan but Siegel. From, from that, um, with my own kids, we created SHH, mm. which is Am I sleepy? Am I hungry? Or do I need a hug? So that's, that was our little thing with trying to, you know, you, you know, mm. usually if it's, you're feeling overwhelmed, it might be one of these three things, you know, do you think it might be one of those, you know, those kind of, that's awesome. Those kind of cues are so important because it helps them remember too, that they have a choice in the moment, which even as adults, we forget, you know, totally, so. totally. I'm, I'm just so obsessed with like simplifying mindfulness for folks down to really awareness. Yeah. Awareness. Yeah. And, and without that judgment or shame, I think is the huge part for us. Yes, as adults. I mean, not just us, as kids too. I mean, now that my kids are getting older and we share a lot, I mean, there's a lot that goes on in their minds, you know? And, you know, and, it, and, that, and it's, and it's uh, can be a rich way to connect with each other is to be able to share those vulnerabilities, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, around that's a good point. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Like I was just thinking of a comment we just had on something where somebody was asking that they, they didn't want their kid to feel a certain way, right? Like they didn't, mm. they, it seemed to this person selfish for the child mm. to have this feeling and uh, that judgment attached to, mm. oh, because you want to have space and you don't want to play with your cousin that we're attaching then a judgment to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. Um, what age do you recommend like starting to build these practices in with kiddos? Oh, like I, I mentioned, I, you know, I work mainly with adults, but I, that said, I'm speaking from my experience as a mom. I mean, I started like from when they were born in many ways. Right. So, I mean, are you, even when they're in my belly, I guess, but that idea, I mean, well, everything that we do from the beginning in terms of helping you know, what are we doing when we're cradling them or rocking them or singing to them? It's helping, helping soothe their nervous systems. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, starting to show them the ways that they can do that themselves and as well, or reach out to us. I mean, that, those are kind of the main things for me was helping my kids understand that, um, you know, that they have within them the ability, not only that, sometimes when they feel overwhelmed, they have us, like we are also the, these connections that can help or in nature, you know, kind of helping them understand all those kind of the concentric circles of connection that are there to help support them. So for me, I mean, I started, like I mentioned, started from, from very small, kind of planting the seeds, I guess. I love um, that. But, uh, also, and this, and perhaps this was just something, I, because at the time I was doing that mindfulness training and all that, really helping them come back into the body was a big thing for me. And I love that you kind of keep saying that, but, um, you know, letting them get curious about the body too, you know, and so not only in the fun, happy times, you know, and even with the fun, happy times, like how does like super excited about something feel compared to, oh, this is so sweet or, you know, like all those Mm -hmm. different, all the different flavors of happiness and love. And then it's like, oh, well, those different flavors are also their frustration of these things too, you know? So kind of letting them get familiar with their body and allowing the body to be someplace to find comfort in and to explore rather than it being something they need to be afraid of. Yeah, or to change. And I think, I'm glad you said from infancy because I agree. Uh, (laughs) And I was just picturing like when I was teaching infants, like, the the tiny human that's trying to reach something and you know when you start to crawl they often go backwards before they go forwards and they're trying to reach something and they're going backwards and they're frustrated (laughs) and so often for us as adults we could pop down and we could just fix that yeah we could bring the toy to them and we could make the discomfort go away and in those small moments being able to pop down and be like oh you're trying so hard to go forward and you keep going backwards that's so frustrating and truly just connecting with them over like I see you and I get it and I you don't have to fix this feeling yeah well and I love how even when you were saying it kind of 
know, there are those mirror neurons that mm-hmm. you find. <laughs> and even for, as you are saying it, and I was, for those of you who don't know who are listening and we're seeing each other right now, but, <laughs> but to even just see your face, even if I didn't understand what you were saying, I felt so connected to you. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the goal, right? Is that, right. that like, it's so much of our tone and our body language. Yes. Um, yeah. 100%. Yeah. At this point, after hundreds of kids, it's it, the, the tone body language part does come a little more naturally to me uh, <laughs> right out the gate. But yeah, no, I think like those little moments are are huge mindfulness building moments. I remember a parent dropping off at one point and drop-offs are often like wild, right? Like yeah. a lot of emotions. People are saying goodbye to people in our infant room, a kid, there's always somebody who's hungry or needs a nap, right? Sure. Like, and I remember her just saying like, doesn't it drive you nuts to hear them cry? And I truthfully at that point was at a place for myself where I was like, no, like if it drove me nuts, I couldn't do this job. (laughs) It is constant. There's always somebody who's having a feeling and my job isn't to make that go away. It's to help them learn that it's okay to have that feeling. And that for me is the core of mindfulness is that whatever you're feeling is okay to feel is okay to feel. And I guess the other, the other part of it too, is the knowing that there are strengths within you that can, that can help or strengths around you that can help. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like connecting to that, um, that, that agency also that we can be with it. And there are things we can, even just in the being with it can help it. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are other ways too, that we can do that naturally. Through our awareness itself. (laughs) Tools for regulation. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, And if you're not ready for regulation yet, yeah, you can just be with it, right? Those aren't wrong answers. And yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Where can people get your book? Say the title again, give them all the deets. It's so good. And I think it just truly breaks down like such a just a rad depiction of like how this starts with kids and how you might see it develop and continue. And I just love so much that when it starts, it's not like she sits down and she just starts meditating, right? Right. Like that's not how this goes of us and definitely not with kids. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I love, I just love so much how you depicted the entire storyline. I would love for folks to snag it. Can you share about it and where people can connect with you? Yeah. So the book itself, it's called Finding Om, And it's basically my daughter exploring the mantra Om with my father. So she kind of sort of comes upon him chanting during his evening meditation and prayers. And so she just simply is getting curious. And so he kind of plants some seeds and she goes and explores and sort of falls upon a little meditation practice herself. And so, you know, one of the things with the book was that I wanted it to be an exploration for the sake of exploration, you know, for the curiosity and love of that. So often in kids' books, um, there's often a problem and then it's like mindfulness or meditation solves it, you know, which it's that too. <laughs> but, um, and so, you know, and I understand that too. You need to have some kind of attention for, for a kid to want to turn the page <laughs> of a book. So, yeah. I get it. <laughs> um, so this is kind of more about her kind of her own exploration um, with it and kind of her falling upon this connection to herself on her own. And also, too, I, I've woven in uh, quite a bit of yoga philosophy through through it as well. And, you know, the different kind of stages of kind of connecting with ourselves and that, you know, at some point she's really connecting with that. She does find that calm, right? So that stability and that calm. And in the quiet, she gets an insight and then she explores that. And then she connects with a different kind of experience of her fullness of herself as well. So it kind of just kind of follows along this this journey that she kind of has. And so the, so the book Finding Ohm is published by Mango and Marigold Press. And so it's available on their website. It's also available at local indie bookstores as well and on online retailers. And if you go to Mango and Marigold Press, there's also a free curriculum guide. And I know you've seen part of it that came with the Mm -hmm. Little Feminist and there's an expanded version of it. 
kind of goes through different meditation practices and little reflection activities. There's a mindful walking um, exercise in there too. And then there's also a little bit more exploration of the mantra Om um, and kind of a, a, an exploration of um, cultural appreciation versus appropriation of the, of the Om symbol and Om. So lots to explore there. So, that. so and again, that's, that's freely downloadable from Mango and Marigold Press. That's rad. And for folks who the word for grandpa might be new for, can you pronounce uh, yeah. it for us so that we can so, read it correctly? Yeah. So uh, Anu, my daughter, um, is exploring with her apupa. Apupa is the word for your mother's father in the language Malayalam from that state of Kerala where, where we're from. Awesome. So there's you. a lot of little cultural tidbits in there too. Yeah. Well, I'd love to fun. read it correctly. And, and we didn't even chat. I'm, you know, we're a mixed family. So my husband is from Zimbabwe. So you know, there's yeah, lots of different, awesome. <laughs> different stuff in the book to explore. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Yeah. I feel like I could just keep chatting with you all day. But Same. I'm sure you have a lot to do. <laughs> Same. I hope we'll stay in touch. I also hope so. Maybe we'll see each other in real life post COVID yes. in upstate New York. Or Absolutely. as upstate New Yorkers would call it, central New York. Yes, that's right. Oh, the <laughs> other thing too, I'll share. I've put together a six week, just an introduction to mindfulness practices. And I recently did it at my kids' school here with the teacher, um, teachers, and it's a picture book inspired mindfulness. So we kind of have a picture book paired with each of the six classes and, and the classes basically explore just different uh, mindful practices. So if anyone... So if, so if you go to my website, which is www.rsbismarckmd.com, I haven't, I guess I, this I need to add a little bit more to my website, but, but if anyone's interested, they can contact me through the contact form okay. um, on my site. And I, so I just did that virtually through Zoom here. So that's also something else that I'm happy to share as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sure. Yeah. Folks check that out. And we do have early childhood educators who tune in and all that jazz too. So yeah, awesome. Super. And I just want to share, I'm so happy when you talked about how at the center of all that you share is that connection to mindfulness. Cause I think that the more and more we can kind of learn to connect with our presence and awareness, you know, the, the, the more we can connect with all of these pieces of ourselves to that totally. wholeness. So yeah, I think love it's it. The key to doing so excited. This work. So excited to be connected with you too. Thank you. Same. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 